Hello, everyone. Welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Emerson Demeron is uh, deep, shallow. I don't know. So it starts with talk of Zack Snyder's Justice League, but quickly moves into Buddhism specifically, uh, what Sharon Salzberg and David Lynch do. So if you're into that stuff, awesome. If you're not, I get it. Uh, something that I now get is Patreon. Anyways, we now have a Patreon account. Please consider donating if you have the funds. It's at youmethemeverybody.com. It's on our about page and it's in our podcast description. That is how we pay the bills. Here's Emerson. I think I know the answer to this question, but do you have any plans to watch the Zack Snyder Justice League four-hour HBO Max cut that was released today? By the way, for the listener at home, we're recording this on Thursday, March 18th. Stranger things have happened. But do you have any plans uh, on doing that? Not specifically, no. Okay, I didn't think so. And I have this weird fascination of reformed media, recut media, reimagined media, right? So, oh, yeah. huge. I'm a huge fan of, I was a huge fan of Arrested Development. And I actually thought that the initial Netflix run, um, that was like 2015 or something like that, where they like, made each episode essentially framed around one character. And then there was really only one payoff at the way end. I thought that was going to be the future of television because you could do shows indefinitely without the entire cast of 12. You could do it with a cast of like two and all you need is like three days of mutual shooting. That's neither here nor there. The reason why I'm interested in this is because right before season five, the creator recut all of it. So it was no longer individual episodes focused on one character. And it was more like a traditional sitcom. And I thought that was a giant. Exactly. And I don't like that, but I'm incredibly fascinated by taking old material, making it new again, whatever. And so this Zack Snyder cut, I don't care about DC comics. I don't care about that world that much, but because of this, I decided I'm going to watch the initial, sorry, I'm going to watch the 2017 film. And I did that last week and I just started the four hour Zack Snyder cut today. And the reason why I bring this up to you is because I'm 100% sure there's at least one Nick Cave song in the first hour of that film, and I think there's two. And It's four hours. Like, you would almost end up with one even if you hadn't intended that in the beginning. So the new Nick, the new slash old Nick Cave songs, it replaced, in the original 2017 version, it replaced a cover of Leonard Cohen's Everybody Knows, which to me you should never use in a film because Pump Up the Volume essentially is, like, centered around yeah, that song. Yeah, it's been done. Exactly. And then number two, it's a different Nick Cave song, and it, it replaces the White Stripes' Icky Thump, which is totally, completely different, completely different sentiment. And I guess... Yeah, you would, that, I, that would be a very uh, jarring juxtaposition. And it's a thing where, like, I highly doubt the majority of viewers watched. I only know because I watched this thing a few days ago knowing I was going to do this. And the reason I bring this up You're to you... You're a student of this film. Yeah, I'm a huge... I'm a Snyder head. So um, the reason I bring this up to you is because you and I both gravitate towards Nick Cave. In a recent episode, we talked about Nick Cave. And mm-hmm. I... Why? Why do we care about an artist who's... A, do we Do we like his work so much that we sort of look to them for guidance? Or are we lacking something in ourselves where we don't have a sense of a God, a theology? I'm serious. Uh, a sense of family history where we're now we're replacing it with singer song, dark singer songwriters who have gone through their own tragedy. Huh? 
It could be six of one half a dozen of the other. Okay. I mean, I did, I was raised in a vaguely Christian household. And when I was pretty young, I got way more into the Bible than my parents were. Uh, I, I just thought they weren't taking it seriously enough. And I really wanted to see what this was about. Like if this was the explanation for why everything is the way that it is, I wanted to really understand it. And then I was a dogmatic atheist by the time I was in middle school and probably never totally got that out of my system. So I'm pretty sure, especially in the early 90s music landscape where there was a lot of kind of slacker nihilism, uh, having somebody come along who was, well, he didn't come along. I discovered him after he'd been going for a while, I think, uh, let love in was the first album of his that i had somebody that was really plugged into mythology and archetypes and my classic storytelling and was taking his art really seriously in a more uh, literate way probably spoke to me in the way that a lot of stuff like mud honey didn't see i feel like we're we're cut from the same. The Venn diagram for us is very strong, but yeah, Mud Honey connected to me and still does. And in in a in a weird way, I feel closer to Mud Honey and Nick Cave at thirty eight than I do to Nirvana. And that, yeah, Mud Honey may not be the best example. Thinking about them now, there was a lot of humor in that stuff. I mean, they call an album "Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge" for a reason. I mean, their biggest yeah. song is "Touch Me, I'm Sick." It's like that should be the pandemic anthem. Yeah, it's it, there's a lot of comedy in there, and also like the the could I can't think of a more working class band than Mudhoney. Like, dude still works in the sub pop warehouse fulfilling orders. Yeah, they uh, they they were on the street. So, do you? You're not religious, correct? No, not particularly. Do you wish you were? Sometimes. Uh, statistically the happiest people in, I don't know if, I think it's just America, but evangelical Christians come out at the top of that uh, stack every time. Let's take Uh, away the Christianity aspect of it. Let's just go with, because Christianity is not the majority religion around the world. So do you, are you gravitating towards faith or belief or whatever, the older you get? Because I think I have, I have an answer that I think you should say. But I feel like it's not right at all for me to tell you how you're growing. It's, um, I, I feel like whenever I do psychedelics, that's in that, it, it's in one of the chambers in that game of existential Russian roulette where you actually meet God and then when you, you come out, uh, you're sense of reality has been scrambled in such a way that you don't really have much of a choice but to alter your whole belief system just to handle the cognitive dissonance um i i was warned when i was in college uh when i had a fairly serious drinking problem by one of my friends that i was a candidate for a religious conversion did i say that actually caught caused me to be- no it was earlier it was okay. when i was it lived in georgia when that was more um in the water uh you know where, where if you 
kind of had a personal crisis getting involved in evangelical religion was going to be a fairly obvious way to handle that. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to be arrogant about it. I, I try to keep some humility and realize that, um, people can change their views of reality in pretty dramatic ways just so I don't end up with egg on my face. I would be a little surprised, but it could happen. See, here's why I think that you shouldn't be surprised because you have very, very, very few photos of yourself in your Twitter, in your Twitter life. But one of them is with a relatively well-known some might say spiritual figure. Do you want to say who that is? Or do you even know what I'm referring to? Exactly. Uh, one right? of the original uh, Western Buddhist teachers. And she, to me, is amazing. And I think you could draw a line from Nick Cave to her with, like, four people in between. And I could see that. And to me, I'm, I'm growing into that type of religious person. Okay, so spiritual but not religious. Well, that's the thing. What is religion? Uh, yeah, I think in that structure, because I think spiritual but not religious is, has been the fastest growing Western religious. To me, that's easier to while. dismiss than any other, any literally any other religion or lack thereof. That's because the, it sounds half-assed. Exactly. Okay, but so the, it's like you're 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 dabbling, but you're not really committing to anything. No, it's not about that. I don't think you need to commit. Like, if I'm hungry and I eat a cheeseburger, I didn't commit to eating cheeseburgers every meal. I just wanted and that. Now food. you're the cheeseburger guy for yeah. the rest of your life. No, it's not that. It's I'm okay with the everything around it. I just don't like the term because of what it represents. the The adopted definition is so incorrect from what the reality is. It's almost pointless to use those phrases. Does that make sense? So it's more like a lifestyle marketing thing. Exactly. Which is, to me, incredibly off-putting and is some very nice and, and good for them. Yeah, I, uh, I I see where you're coming from. It is annoying. And, and the reason why I mentioned the Salzburg thing is because I think what she's doing and, and what she's influencing is just as valid and important as any quote-unquote American version of religion. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Okay, so therefore it's not about spirituality. It's just, it's it's no different than religion. It's the same thing. Uh, there are some rituals built into it. I mean, a meditation practice, mm-hmm. and I think there are some yogic practices that come in some schools of thought uh, around there. Uh, so it, it's not, yeah, it, it's not strictly a way of thinking about reality. There's some practices involved, which I think with the decline of religion is one of the things that we've lost as a society that's kind of sad. I see here, there's a thing. Is that sad or is that the goal? To eliminate rituals? Yeah. No, 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 not rituals, but strict religious belief, I think, is the downfall of a lot of things. And in an ideal world, I do. Okay, maybe I should backtrack a little bit. I'll start with a question. Do you believe atheism is a luxury? There's when you put it that way, it's you make an interesting point. I mean, I think religious belief has gotten people through some difficult situations that Richard Dawkins might not have been able to. There you go. So with that in mind. If the goal is everyone could 
everyone is essentially on the same playing field and they could choose their blank, be it atheism, be it strict fundamentalism. That's the goal. That means that we're all operating in theory in the same like pain spectrum. (laughs) And that's a pure, beautiful thing to me. Well, you, you, there's a case to be made that you can choose your own beliefs. Absolutely. Like you can decide to be a more positive thinker and then over time habituate yourself to that. And there are established techniques that you can use for that. And that's where I get to the Salzburg stuff. That's where I get to the Buddhism stuff. And I know, I didn't think, I'm pretty sure that you didn't think we were going to head down this path when I opened with the Zack Snyder film, but to me it all relates. Yeah, you're full of surprises and that's why I enjoy talking to you. So here's the thing. I'm not enjoying this film at all. Um, I am. But you're gonna you're gonna plow through. Oh yeah, I got three more hours. I'm into it. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing: I'm doing it well whilst I'm working out, so like it's fine because I'm doing something I actually is good for my body, and it's also making me think of things. So just because I'm not enjoying the film doesn't mean I'm not enjoying the experience. Okay, it's time well spent. Exactly. Also, it makes me think: some kid's gonna discover Nick Cave because of this film. Yeah, odds are. Some kid's going to have their, maybe, their religion, their spirituality, maybe their theology, whatever, shaken because of a Zack Snyder four-hour version of Justice League. Because of an hour in or so, there's a, a very powerful Nick Cave song, and then that person will find out about Nick Cave's tragedy. They'll find out about, it's about Zack Snyder's tragedy. And maybe that'll make their life a little bit better. One hopes. So I guess where I'm going with this backtracks to you is what attracted you to Salzburg? I remember doing a meditation workshop when I was pretty young. Um, When I was a kid, I was in an academically gifted weekend program where my parents would drive me up to Asheville and I would take classes on things that I would not have been able to take classes on in my elementary school. And one of them was meditation. So they got a bunch of 11 year olds and and taught us like basic breathing meditation where you sit there and pay attention to your breath. And after a while, some other thought will pop into your head and your job is to gently bring your attention back to your breath. So I was aware of that and I had some idea of how potentially powerful it was because I was an anxious kid and I noticed right away um, that my brain was doing a lot of interesting things that kind of were more interesting uh, from the third dimension where I could have a little bit of perspective on them than if I felt like I was in the whirlpool. But I didn't really stick with it at the time and didn't really pick it up again until many years later. And I remember dabbling in it for a while as part of a creative practice, I think influenced by the David Lynch book, Catching the Big Fish that came out in the, in the Audis. And (laughs) sorry, (laughs) sorry, go ahead. Why why are you laughing about that? I've never heard the Audis before. Oh yeah. The, the zero zero. The naughty Audis. Okay. Continue. Yeah, the throwaway decade. Um, and the throwaway decade? 
Yeah, we deleted all of those MP3s. It never actually happened. I feel like you're currently writing a script right now. Anyway, uh, I... Anyway, fuck you, man. (laughs) (laughs) We just had a great idea together, and I'm just going to roll right past it. Please continue. So the naughty audience, you're reading Catching the Big Fish. Yeah, and so I started meditating again to to get weird ideas, and I found it practical in that way. But it picked up more urgency uh, when the recession happened, and I got way too into getting blackout drunk and kind of ended up in a crisis mode where I was having a lot of anxiety attacks. And... I went to see a therapist who happened to be involved in Shambhala Buddhism, which had some uh, unpleasant reckoning a couple of years ago for the its cult-like aspects, which I wasn't really exposed to, which probably has to do with white male privilege and a lot of other things. And the fact that like I didn't need to volunteer my labor, mm-hmm. but she, she encouraged me to, do to try out some of their meditation practices, uh, which again was fairly simple sitting, noticing the breath meditation. And I found that it helped a lot, mm-hmm. uh, like not necessarily right away, but um, I would keep up the ritual for a, a, like a few days, a few weeks at a time. I got an app on my phone called Insight Timer that gamified, uh, have keep putting a certain number of axes in a row on the calendar. Hmm. Like I've meditated for X number of straight days. This is the second time you've used, uh, you've mentioned a prod, uh, 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 an app like this. You use it for the writing as well to like make your life better. It helps, yeah, because okay. it leverages my competitive instinct. Which is inherently, I think, stereotypically the opposite of calmness and creation. There's some irony there. Okay. But I think it's I it's something I'm stuck with. I I, I want to uh, get on the field and put points on the board, and <laughs> I know that's very stupid. No, no, hold on, hold on. Why is that stupid? Things, but it's useful. It's why is that so? Then, if if it's useful, why is it stupid? Because uh, we're not really individuals. I think that paradigm is in decline. I think we're starting to see ourselves less as individuals, or at least we're starting to see more of the problems with seeing ourselves as being atomized, and we're starting to see ourselves as more nodes in a network. So, I think competition as a way to establish identity is has a lot of problems with it. And, you know, I don't really want to get stuck in that paradigm, but I do have those habits. And I, so as long as I have them, I try to do something useful with them, like see how many days in a row I can meditate. Why do you say that uh, the individual is going away? Because I respectfully disagree. I mean, it's probably not going away anytime soon, but anyone who didn't see the problems with that paradigm before COVID-19 must see them now. Or that by, by, by isolating people and having this every person for themselves attitude, 
it just doesn't, it's not a way to deal with a lot of the problems that are emerging right now. I think we're talking about the same thing and just taking different things from it because I think you could easily draw that the individual is more important than ever because their individual behavior is going to impact somebody, be it negatively or positively. Yeah, I think we're, we're, we agree with each other. We're just coming at it from yeah. different angles. Okay, so may I ask a, a I know you don't want to name drop, but you did work with Lynch, and Lynch is essentially one of the guys that got you back into meditation. Did seeing, did seeing his practice make you want to meditate more, or was it just off-putting? No, it was really inspiring. Okay. Uh, how, like, on the set of this photo shoot where I met him, he would just go meditate for a couple of hours. And everyone just respected that. And, uh, you know, it, because they could see how that was part of his creative process. And he had he made space for himself to do that. And that's easier when you're a millionaire and you're mm. celebrated as a genius and you're surrounded by assistance. But it's the it's a commitment that anyone can make. And you can decide this space is important for me to protect. So even if you think it's weird, I'm going to go let's ahead. Take, and let's take this. the weird out of it. Was it ever selfish? I mean, you could say that he could have been saving people from drowning instead, but I don't think it's the, <laughs> well, the, the end result makes you a lot less selfish. The, the reason I ask is because I wonder how much of that is built in. So, Yes, you're absolutely right. If you're a millionaire, if you're considered a genius, you're able to do X, Y, and Z. But I wonder if contracts are structured when it comes to him or like, these are the hours which I am not available. You know this going in. If you don't want to do the deal, don't do the deal. This is part of what you're signing up for. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could. I can tell you that, that, is, that you do sign off on that when you work with him. So to me, that's not selfish. That's just part of, that's part of the deal. Yeah, it's setting boundaries. Yeah. And it's ultimately to the good because yeah. it it helps him create things that affect people's lives in a positive way. Now, when did Salzburg come into play exactly? Do you remember? Was it, it was around that time. Okay. Uh, the Shambhala center in Chicago had a really good bookstore in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where I read Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who was the founder of Shambhala and got into that constellation of writers, which also includes Jack Cornfield and Pema Chodron and a lot of the people that popularized Buddhist ideas in the West. And Sharon Salzberg was one of those that I connected with immediately. I think Salzberg's probably my like 1A and Pema's probably my like number two here. And I yeah. think the reason I gravitate towards them is because they're both, and th this sounds like I'm dismissing people that are of the cloth, but they're real people that have had like divorces and tragedy and a yeah. ton of death that like, and, and for some odd, maybe it's not odd. It's probably the exact same reason I'm towards, towards a guy to, uh, drawn towards a guy like a uh, David Lynch, like a Nick Cave. Like you could kind of, you can't see their pain, but it's informed by real life experience. That's not just like glossing over the pain. And you could see how they alchemize it. Yeah. Like by starting with a by with intellectual and emotional honesty, you create the possibility to do something really powerful with that. Whereas you, if you just bury it, then you sacrifice that potential. Is it fair to say the alcoholism is burying it for you? Oh yes. 
Yeah. Do you do you, have you always been open to talk about things like this, or is it uncomfortable? Oh God, yeah, only very recently. Uh, it's, and I don't. I'm not sure why I was so uncomfortable with a lot of this kind of stuff when I was younger, but. Uh, when I was really young, I realized I was kind of an oddball in the community that I was growing up in. I think I just got in the habit of keeping my head down uh, because it felt like pretty much anything I shared what was going to make things worse for me. Uh, and then when I got to college and started drinking a lot, I sort of went all the way in the other direction where uh, I became more confessional, but in a selfish way where I'm not making a lot of room for other people and I'm not really trying to do anything. I'm just pouring everything out. Yeah. And uh, only recently do it, does it feel like I've struck more of a balance and meditation was definitely crucial to that. I'm so fascinated by the future because yeah, I, I think you're, you and most everyone of a certain generation is going to be considered an oddball if they're practicing this stuff in most American cities or suburbs or rural areas. But um, the PBS app, like the PBS kids Twitter account is like sharing essentially like how to teach a kid to meditate, like essentially belly breathing and calmness and, and mindfulness. And that's not an urban versus rural situation. That's this is becoming part of the mainstream in a way where I I do believe that like a five year old now uh, is not completely turned off from meditation just because it's a, a different thing. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, everything that used to be obscure and underground is pretty much readily available at this point. I'm uh, that makes me very happy. <laughs> For, well, for for good and ill. I mean, I didn't. I never would have thought really wacky conspiracy theories would get the kind of mainstream purchase that they have now. But oh, we're different you know, people. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when I think broadband internet was kind of like it was the hippie dream of of dosing the water supply with LSD, where everyone just perceived the world as being interconnected in this whole new way and was exposed to a lot of information at once. And we're still kind of talking ourselves through that. Uh, respectfully disagree. I think it's radio. I think it's um, the popularity of certain um, people on radio for the last hundred years. And all the internet's doing is connecting those tissues. Interesting. I mean, well, you don't get... like college radio and no, NPR no, fuck no. <laughs> for me, <laughs> when I was a kid, not college. I mean, I'm thinking it's like, it's, it's Limbaugh. It's clearly Limbaugh. It's it's that stuff that doesn't exist just purely on the internet. That you need the foundation of classic turn off your brain media and everything on the internet. You have to choose to absorb. So it's it's really still to me like radio is the downfall, but also. Huh. And the internet is just amplifying that, but whatever. Well, as as of this conversation, Limbaugh died a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. I've lost all track of time, but it, that did prompt a lot of people to say things really changed when they got rid of the fairness doctrine, and you could have these uh, people on the radio that could just talk at you for hours at a crack. It's kind of cool that I'm able to do that, and you're able to do that right now. Yeah, almost anyone can do that now. 
You, Me, Them, Everybody is Made by Me, Brandon Weatherby. Our theme music is by Daniel Knox. Our art is by Jillian Ron. You can hear all 13 years of shows at you, me, them, everybody.com. If you're listening to this in Spotify or on iTunes, the last year of episodes are available uh, with some sprinklings of the other ones. If you want the rest of the catalog, which features over 700 episodes, you, me, them, everybody.com. Our Patreon page is on our about page. It's all there. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. At sign YMTE. Thanks for listening. I'll hug the places that you've been sleeping. Friends and family I'll be keeping won't help you.